1: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of React Roundup. This week on our panel, we have Nader Dabbit. Hello. We have a special guest host. That's Sia (laughs) Carmelagos.
2: Yes, hello.
1: I kind of sounded that out in my head first. I hope I got close.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was good.
1: Um, I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.TV. And this week, we have a special guest, and that's James Sinclair.
3: G'day. Hi from Australia.
1: Now, uh, the show's pretty new, so obviously we haven't had you on before. Do you want to just introduce yourself real quick?
3: Sure. Uh, I'm a web developer. I uh, work in Canberra, Australia, which is actually the capital city. Um, and uh, I work for a, an organization called Squiz, um, building a uh, what we call a digital workplace, which is kind of like a fancier term for intranet. Yeah.
1: <laughs> nice. Um, Well, we have you on to talk about, I'm trying to remember because it was like all kinds of, it was like three or four things. It was React, Redux, and JavaScript architecture, which all seems pretty general.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Um, It was probably because of an article I wrote, um, which was uh, inspired by the work I do at Squeeze, um, where I found that um, most of the people I talk to... um, didn't really understand why you would ever want to use React. Um, most people were coming from a jQuery background, uh, and I could point them to plenty of uh, articles to get started. Um, so here's how you do uh, a, a React application. Here's how you get started with Redux, with the sort of tutorial how-to guides. But nobody was really explaining why you
4: would want to use them. Gotcha. So, are the people that you're working with? Are they have they been working with JavaScript for a long time, and they're just kind of um, skeptical about like getting into some of the faster evolving um, ecosystems in JavaScript, or is it uh, kind of um, more like they are very comfortable with with jQuery and it's getting the job done, and they're not really interested in learning something if like what they have isn't broken?
3: So, a bit of both, I think. So, there's a mixture of of people. Some people were sort of uh, junior developers. Um, and we were just sort of finding their way uh, around modular JavaScript in particular. And then a bunch of other people who were just used to using jQuery for everything um, and, and didn't really see what the benefits were. Uh, and it also came out of collaborating on a particular project where um, as uh, things happened, the, the project got behind schedule. And so uh, one of the developers jumped ahead and started uh, doing this sort of static cut-up work um, building the HTML, CSS, and, and chucking some uh, jQuery into uh, to do the basic sort of in interactions. Uh, and then I came along behind him and was doing some of the more complicated work uh, for, say, integrating credit cards and um, uh, more more beefier parts of the system. And I was using React, and we saw that you could see the code side by side, um, and he was writing all this monolithic um, jQuery that was really hard to debug and um, really long and complicated. Uh, and he he was kind of flabbergasted by this uh, these tiny little React modules that I was creating that were, he was calling the, the magical, um, because he couldn't quite understand what they were doing, but he could see that they were much more elegant than than the way the jQuery code was working.
2: Yeah, I read your article and I um, I really enjoyed it. I feel like it was a good reminder, even for experienced devs, of like why we use React. We already have ideas in our head, like, the way we think of components and building web pages as a series of components. But I liked a lot of the other points you brought up, like how it's just faster to, um, to look up a value in a plain JavaScript object versus querying the DOM.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I remember the first time that um, I was kind of convinced that React was uh, a good idea it was at a conference um, where, of all things, they were talking about immutability um and and the ohm framework, and so um there was this it was basically a really, really long talk uh, all about how triple equals is much faster than um, uh, comparing uh, objects with a deep compare when you dive in and compare every single value inside. Um, and in some ways, that's the whole story of why React can be fast is because a triple equals is is a much faster lookup than than doing a deep object compare. But not many people sort of understand that or why that is, why React the way it is. Uh, and I also find that even just modular um, web components uh, are a, a big idea for some of the junior developers I talk to. So I wanted to break all that down and, and explain here's uh, his, his why React is the way it is. Uh, and you don't have to be too scared of the JSX if you don't want to be.
4: So is your team moving now to React or have you already moved to React or how is that looking at your your
3: company? Um, So my particular team has moved to to React. Um, So uh, when we started this project um, for Squiz Workplace, uh, we mandated that this will be React. Uh, We developed our own uh, special technique for making React work well with a CMS, uh, which was um, interesting and fun. Uh, But the rest of the company, they're they're a mixture, because if if you're doing a small website, um, you don't always need the full-blown power of React. The sprinkle of jQuery here and there will work and and get the job done. Um, But for larger, more complicated applications, like the one I work on, we're doing React.
1: What about Redux? I mean, you you put in React, Redux, and JavaScript architecture. So I've I've heard some uh, people push back on Redux, that it's too complicated or that it's um you know it's not always necessary where, where do you kind of come down on that
3: uh that's a that's a really good point so um the, I, I did put a, a section on, on on Redux in that article as well because I, I saw a spate of um, uh, articles going around saying, oh, Redux is uh, is over. Redux has is, is had it. It's um, we're moving on. We're writing our own version." And most of them seem to be listing all the advantages of Redux as if they were disadvantages. So uh, things like it's uh, you, you have to have pure reducers and the only way to set set state is through these reducer things and you know, there's so much it's so lacking in opinionation so i can do anything i want and i'm thinking these are these are all good things um but it does lend itself to a particular kind of application where you do have a lot of shared state uh where you have uh, different parts of the application that need to interact with each other uh so what redux does is it organizes things so that you can uh have a consistent, uh, understandable way of understanding if I change something uh, way down in the the component tree, uh, I know exactly what's going to happen um, it, to my state as a result of that.
4: Now, I was just kind of curious, so like what what's the current stack that you're kind of uh, of choice for you? If you were gonna build something brand new like today, like what would you use as far as like a JavaScript stack uh, in the React ecosystem?
3: Um, for me, it's run pretty vanilla. Uh, uh, React and Redux. Uh, I'd probably uh, Downshift hadn't been released at the time that uh, we started our project, um, so that would have been a, a handy thing because uh, we do do a lot of sort of type-ahead type widgets, uh, which that is designed to 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 make it easier. Uh, but mainly just a bit of a Webpack to glue everything together and React and Redux uh, to manage state uh, and, and build out our components. Um, and has any of you heard of something called ConditionerJS? Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. So that's a, a short little library um, that um, what it does is it scans your, your page uh, looking at the DOM and looks for data attributes. Uh, and if any merge, a particular pattern, it says, oh, this uh, component on the page needs to be a React component uh, and it will hydrate, uh, as they say, the um, that particular part of the DOM and replace it with your dynamic component. Uh, And the reason I mentioned that is because we um, independently invented our own version of that um, so that it would work with a CMS because a CMS, you don't always have uh, a single-page app. Um, So most React tutorials uh, assume that you're making a single-page web app, uh, whereas we're working with a CMS. So we needed some way to say when we when we... Load the HTML in the page. These particular parts of the page need to be uh, React components, and they need to be initialized with all the Redux um, state as well. Uh, so we wrote a little library that will scan scan for those data attributes. And I thought I was particularly clever, um, but it turns out somebody else has already built a, an open source library for
4: it.
1: <laughs> nice. I, I kind of want to go back to some of the ideas that you had around. You said kind of sprinkles of jQuery. Um, you mentioned that, you know, and you mentioned it in the article too, that, you know, React might be overkill. And then you've also talked about maybe you just put React in in, in situations where you're not building a single page app. So I'm kind of trying to figure out where you split the difference, right? Where do you just say, okay, well, this app, yeah, you know, some jQuery, I'm good, you know, or maybe, you know, something lightweight like StimulusJS. And then maybe you're looking at it and you're going, okay, well, maybe... Maybe my sprinkles really need to be React components, and then you get to the point where you're saying, you know what, this needs to be a fully blown, full page app, single page app.
3: Yeah, I, I guess it, it depends on on what you're building. Um, so, uh, if you're if you're starting out with the intention of building an app, then um, probably a single page app is is the t- the tool you want to reach for. Uh, and these days with server side rendering, that's that's a whole lot easier. Um, for our particular use case, uh, we were working with a, a CMS that's similar to something like Drupal or WordPress, um, but we wanted to layer a lot of complicated application logic on top of that. So we wanted to have all the benefits of a of, of a CMS, but also we have these complicated messaging systems and um, uh, sort of social media style, commenting things. This uh, is kind of what digital workplaces do. Um And we knew that we had a a fairly heavy support burden. Um, So we'd have people calling us up and um, things like the the Redux time traveler make uh, supporting and debugging uh, much easier. Uh, So we wanted to have those sort of tools available to help us out in the future. Um, So yeah, so I guess the two key things for me, if you're building an application, then build a single page web app. Uh, If you need um, lots of shared state, then Redux is the tool of choice. and yeah, if you're just building a website that needs a carousel on it, maybe you don't need a, a huge framework like React.
1: Gotcha. What about Redux?
3: So Redux is trickier. Um, it, my rule of thumb is, tends to be when I know that a lot of different components are going to be sharing state. Um, and that's potentially going to be confusing. That's when I re- reach for Redux because that's, that's its core value is um, you've got a bunch of components that interact and it's not always obvious how one is going to affect the other. That
1: makes sense. And then I guess the that's, last, the last. Oh, go ahead.
3: I was just going to say, and that's that's the beautiful thing about Redux is it's not as complicated as as people make out. It's it's quite a really quite a simple library. You could write it yourself. It's it's just that because it's so simple, it, it's kind of like the the game of Go. I don't know if you, any of you ever played that. It only has a few very simple rules, but because of that, it becomes very complicated in all the things that can possibly happen because it's quite a large board. Um, I find Redux is, is similar in that there's only a very few, small number of rules, which means you can do a whole lot with it um, because you, you're quite free uh, to, to take it in any direction you want.
2: Yeah, I like this idea of um, the concepts, or, or for me at least, learning Redux really helped me think in a more functional way. And um, I like how you frame that, how these concepts are also more portable to learning. To me, that's really interesting how you can apply those things. Like when I once I realized I was basically building Redux in a vanilla JavaScript app, I was like, "Well, maybe I should just use Redux."
3: <laughs> that's a really good point. I, I'm glad you bring up uh, functional programming as well, because um, that heavily influenced why I, I thought Redux was a good idea when I saw it. Because uh, I'd been starting down that journey of uh, learning about functional programming, and it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, to be able to, particularly when you're managing state, um, to be able to say, okay, I know that when I I make this change, I know exactly what's going to happen in my application. Um, and so it makes testing easier. It makes reasoning about the code easier. And um, as I was sort of pointing out in the article, it makes a whole bunch of other stuff uh, suddenly possible that it wasn't possible before.
2: Yeah. So how do you Try to convince someone, because I, I do feel like a lot of people don't necessarily learn, like, the core concepts of Redux before they, um, like, pass judgment on it or, I mean, of course, and everyone has different needs, but how how do you kind of make that case?
3: Um, that's a tough one. Um, generally... Um, if, if I'm leading the team, then I just mandate that that's what we're doing.
0: <laughs>
3: uh, <laughs> um, but my, my approach is actually to start with functional programming, actually. I think once people, even just the, the functional iterators like map, filter, reduce, um, once people start to use those in their code um, and they, they see a whole lot of complexity suddenly disappear, because um, that's the beauty of those things is, right, you, you write one line um, and that expresses what four lines were doing before with a for loop, um, and it expresses more information in less less lines of code. So when you when you see map, you know that it's creating another array with the same length. Um, with a for loop, you have to read really through the whole thing to work out whether that's what it's doing or not. Um, so once people start to get functional programming, then Redux makes a whole lot more sense as well as React, um, and so people start coming along that journey. Uh, also, um, even just for convincing people to use React itself, um, if they haven't been doing modular uh, JavaScript before, that's, that it kind of blows their minds that they can they can um, build much neater, much smaller, easier to manage components that, that don't uh, need to be these massive blobs of jQuery code.
4: So, I'm kind of curious. What's your uh, thoughts on GraphQL, and have you used GraphQL at your company?
3: Uh, we are just experimenting it, uh, with it at the moment, sorry. Um, we uh, a, a colleague of mine just spun up a server um, that would uh, interrogate our, our our CMS database and, and expose it as an API. Um, but we're just starting down that path. Um, but I can see from what I've read about it and, and the little bits that I have done with it, that it, it's uh, going to be particularly useful for reducing the number of queries and joins that we do and um, could speed up our development time a lot. Um, Have you guys uh, started down that journey? You're doing a lot with uh, GraphQL these days.
4: So I've done quite a bit with it lately because I work with AWS. and We're building the managed GraphQL service called uh, AWS AppSync. Um, And I've never actually built anything in production there. So I'm kind of more working on the developer advocacy side, kind of um, integrating new features and stuff into that service and talking with developers, kind of finding out what they're looking for. Um, In my experience, though, the hardest part for me has always been to build a real, a real world GraphQL server that actually implements things like authorization, um, mm-hmm. controls and fine grain access control and things like that. Um, I think just spinning up a pretty basic, um, server has gotten pretty easy at this point. There's a lot of, um, good stuff out there like Apollo server and Prisma. But, um, I think taking, taking it from hello world to actually something useful is like the problem that has yet to be solved, I would say, like uh, in, a, in, a, in a simple way. We're trying to do that with AppSeq, and then I think we're gonna see a lot of stuff happen over the next year, and other, other companies might be um, introducing some things for that space, because I feel like that's kind of an unsolved area so far.
2: I do like, um, have you heard of Apollo Link State? So it's kind of uh, Apollo's answer to managing state, but within GraphQL. So if you already have a GraphQL backend, how can we start managing state with that same idea? And I feel like that that might be a compelling thing for me to switch. Clearly, I like Redux, but um, <laughs> but yeah, like something that, that kind of changes the paradigm, <laughs> you know, it's really interesting. Yeah, sorry.
4: Yeah, were yeah I saw someone give a talk on that recently, and it was the first time I'd actually seen what it was. I had heard of it. And that uh, it didn't make a lot of sense to me until I actually saw someone kind of give a talk on it. And um, after that, I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. So it's basically like you have your Redux store, you know, saved like elsewhere in your application uh, at its own little uh, area and its own level. Then your whole app kind of has access to that data, that state, it's something like that, except that um, of course, instead of using Redux, you're using um, whatever you would like really, but you're also, getting the benefits of getting your GraphQL queries and mutations and stuff like that all handled through the link state. Yeah,
3: it does sound pretty cool. Uh, it's interesting that you brought up the uh, authentication side of things, um, because, um, uh, and I really need to write an article on this, but we, we still work with, um, these traditional old CMSs like, uh, Drupal or, or squeeze matrix, which is our particular one. Uh, and, uh, there are a few things that a CMS still gives you for free uh, and things like authentication and uh, roles and uh, login screens and, and admin screens uh, that uh, often when we charge in to try and uh, create these single-page web apps, uh, you forget that um, CMSs have solved a lot of these problems a long time ago. Uh, and if, you, if you're if you building an application, that can be a sort of good base for starting something.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, I've been looking at that for... Uh, the podcast, right? Just, uh, you know, basing a lot of the access that people want to the media or to the, you know, the different uh, things that are involved there. And uh, yeah, I've I've been using WordPress as my backend and just trying to figure out, okay, how do I open all this stuff up? And WordPress does have an API and they also do have GraphQL plugins, but um, they, you know, it's not completely... 100% you know clear how to use all that stuff but at the same time you know all the data structures and everything else are pretty well understood and so you can get a a leg up that way without having to design the entire system.
3: Yeah exactly and it doesn't take long before it that uh, permissions type stuff can get really complicated Um, so having someone else have done some of that hard thinking for you can be really really helpful.
2: Yeah it seems like we don't talk about um, CMSs as much as we really should because I wonder how many, like you know, when we apply to real production applications, how many of them are CMSs, and we just kind of ignore that fact when we when we go to conferences and we hear talks and things, and they're all about more traditional backends.
3: Yeah, I have in my head that I really want to uh, write an article on this um, about making uh, React and Redux and things work with your creaky old CMS because we do kind of treat them like they're the the sort of old, uh, hairy, old scary um, monsters that nobody wants to talk about anymore. But they do do a lot and empower a lot of the the internet that we use uh, day to day.
1: Now, I'm curious, does that change the structure of your front-end app at all, if your back-end is a CMS?
3: Uh, yes, it does. Um, uh, so that's, that's why I was bringing up conditioner earlier. Um, because the way that, um, CMSs work is you never know in advance, uh, what you're going to need on that page. Um, so you may know that you need, say, a menu, for example, that uh, needs drop downs that you want to control, but you don't know what else might be on that page. So you have to be prepared for anything, um, uh, which means that, um, things like code splitting and, um, being able to quickly um, hydrate your application uh, without too much lag time uh, become really, really important when you're looking at performance. I don't know about you guys, but have you guys uh, done much uh, performance uh, sort of tuning of your React applications?
2: Uh, Yeah, actually, this is a topic I really love. (laughs) It sounds so dry, but I actually really like diving into performance. Although now I've taken it even beyond React and more looking at... um, like how we build and how the how the browser renders things and and things like that but um (laughs) definitely an exciting topic um what kind of tools do you use for performance optimization
3: Uh, so in terms of actually uh getting optimizations we we dove pretty heavily into the webpack code splitting uh when that was updated it's sort of Mm -hmm. about a year ago now um so for us, it makes a lot of sense because we can optimize first load. We know that sort of 80% of the time somebody's coming into the homepage. So we can make sure that we've got everything we need in, in the bundle for that. Um, but if somebody is just on the homepage, we, they don't necessarily need all the full calendar features, um, for example, or they, they don't necessarily need um, the crazy org chart um, application that we, we built. So when you go to those pages, we, we download those dynamically on the fly. Um, and we just we display a sort of uh, grade out placeholder while that code's downloading.
2: So, does having a CMS back end make that whole process more complicated? I'm imagining it would, but I'm, I don't actually know.
3: Well, that's where we found that. Um, so, writing our own version of Conditioner uh, really helped. Um, so, um, what CMSs are really really good at is putting HTML in a page, um, and if you can. Indicate in that HTML, uh, this, this particular blob of content here that needs to be transformed into a, a, a dynamic React component. Uh, so we do that with the data attributes. And then, um, we have one to say this is the type of React component it should be. So the name of the component that it is. And then we also pass in, uh, attributes, uh, kind of like you would pass in React props. Um, we just have to double encode them, uh, so that they can fit in HTML. Uh, and then that allows us to pass information from the CMS through to the React component, um, just like you would if you're doing a, a, a normal sort of React JSX. Um, and then when we hydrate that, we pass that information through, and it all uh, just, it's kind of magical. It all just works.
0: For you, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at lootcrate.com. Just enter the promo code Bridge10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail. Costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, uh, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to LootCrate.com slash Ruby. Again, that's LootCrate.com slash Ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings.
1: I'm an old man, Dev. I like magic.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I'd love to hear about uh, what other people are doing to um, sort of performance tune their their React apps, if, if you guys are
4: working on any of that kind of stuff.
1: I'm still learning React, so I'm happy when it works.
4: <laughs> um, I've worked a lot with React Native, really, and uh, with React Native, there's a few different things that you could do, but but really, it has a lot to do with at least in my experience, optimizing um, optimizing render methods and uh, optimizing lists in general with lists with uh, React Native. It seems to be a uh, usually a stumbling block for most apps where if you have a list of over <laughs> items, you have to kind of really, really figure out. Um, like where the problems are, if it has to do with your images, if it has to do with the, um, the pagination, or if maybe you have like an infinite scroll. And, you know, it really, for me, it's been mostly with React Native versus React Web. And I don't think we have as good of tooling for performance as, uh, as the web right now on React Native.
2: That's actually really interesting, because I, I do more web, and it's it, that sounds so much easier. whereas with web it's like you're trying to you're trying to optimize your bundles and how much javascript is there and trying to reduce it so that there's less to download parse and compile and load and um figuring out if things are like above the folder below the fold and and things like that um so yeah i started working more on that
4: part so i'm like oh
2: (laughs) the react side was uh i don't know it's not easier
4: It's just different. Yeah, when I see discussions around performance on the web with React these days, I'm completely lost. When I see like (laughs) code splitting and Webpack and all this stuff, like I understand Webpack for sure, but I don't, I definitely don't have any clue how I would do the code splitting and and all that stuff. Um, So,
2: yeah, I used to be very afraid of Webpack. And then, um I started a vanilla application. It was just like HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And that's when I finally learned Webpack, thanks to, I think you had Yuho on another time. And I look up so many things on Survive.js. But also the Webpack docs have gotten a lot better. It's really interesting, all the things you can do to just optimize. It helps you optimize a lot of things automatically, like images and stuff like that. Oh, yes, I wonder how you would do that more in React Native, because you don't have the same build tool. Um, like how would you say, Hey, can you just optimize all these images for particular sizes and offer up different source sets?
4: Um, so it's, it's not as easy for sure with react native. Um, it just depends um, you can have like, you can, you can have like uh, helper functions that, that rely on certain data that like maybe how your network is, is doing or the type of device you're on and kind of do it that way just by manually writing that, that that type of functionality
3: and at least in my experience. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point, though, about the differences between um, performance optimizations for the web versus React Native, because um, just that very act of having to download your your JS bundle up front makes things a lot more complicated, right? Um, And it's a double-edged sword, so you might um, defer... um, so down, downloading some code with code splitting so that you you don't have it there immediately um so that makes the the initial download faster but then that makes when you want to actually use that code that you need later it makes it slower um so you are uh, you would do constantly trading off these things
2: mm-hmm. yeah like the time to interaction can be just as frustrating as like time to load um Or, like, time to, like, when you see it on the screen, you usually expect it to work. And because of our delayed JavaScript, sometimes it doesn't. It's an interesting problem. Um, I had another question on that, but I was, it's left my mind.
3: Well, then uh, then on top of that, that's just getting the bundle. Then uh, the other thing that we have to contend with is then um, the application performance itself, like uh, having to check, well, is it it doing unnecessary renders and um, tracing down um, why things are, um changing the way they are Um, uh, i don't know how you guys uh, do do you guys do any of that uh, kind of performance optimization as well
2: yeah using like dev tools to look at renders and the profiling yeah not any specific tools right now there used to be a perf uh plugin for react but they took it out of the core package i forget at which point point.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, I say that's a, an area where I do find uh, Redux is helpful because um, it has that magical time traveling debugger. Um, so being able to switch between states and say, okay, when we go from this state to this next state, uh, we can see here's all the, um, bits of the DOM that have to change in response to that. Um, and being able to trace through which, which bits, uh, uh maybe are, are rendering when they shouldn't or, um, uh, doing unnecessary work is really, really handy. Uh, have you any you guys uh, tried the Redux um, time traveler and, and all that kind of stuff?
2: I haven't done it specifically, but I do use a tool um, with Sentry that basically logs all my Redux actions that are performed. So it actually makes it a lot easier to debug errors in production because I know like the steps that the application has gone through um, and then I can try to repeat them.
3: Yeah, that's that's one of those magical things that just that, that one simple rule that reducers have to be pure kind of makes possible in um, Redux and kind of blew my mind when I first uh, learned about it was um, because it's just a sequence of actions and everything you need to know about the application is recorded in those actions. You can do things like, as you say, you can log all of them to a logger, um, which means that you can um, watch watch things happen in real time or you could stream uh, people's actions um, if you're doing some kind of uh, live coding um thing for example uh and you get this time traveling debugger uh which we um enable in in our production app by with a special query string um so we just detect a query string and we load uh load that middleware uh and that means that we could say for example download the entire state of um the application on a client's machine um, put it on a disk, take it back to to our workstation and then spin up the application again and see it in exactly the same state that it was on the the client's computer. And that's really handy for being able to debug things and work out why did this um, widget change the way it did or um, where, why was it throwing this error at this particular point in time? Uh, it's just kind of amazing when you see it um, and just being you know, having a slider there, you can just roll it right back to the start, watch things load as they come in and out. Um, it's really fun.
1: And then you use git blame to give somebody a hard time, right? (laughs) So one thing that I'm curious about, uh, the article said uh, Redux, React, and JavaScript architecture. And it seems like a lot of times, at least in my applications, um, some of the problems come down to, you know, oh, there's a tool that solves that. You know, and you're talking about Redux and, you know, some aspects of React are probably going to solve some of these issues too. But then you've got other things that it's just like, you know what? I kind of designed this poorly, and so now I'm paying the price on it. So how do you actually architect your apps? Like, what what principles do you follow in the way that you put your apps together in order to solve some of the issues that make applications more complicated or harder to debug or maintain?
3: That's a, a really good question, actually. Um, and what, that's probably one of the key reasons why I'm, I'm now... Um, a, such a fan of React is that it strongly encourages you to break your uh, application down into small components uh, and then build piece your application together from those small components using composition, uh, which is kind of a functional programming concept as well. Um, but because you're working with um, small isolated units that you can you can test easily, that, that means that um, it, it helps manage the complexity. Um, But then on top of that, you've got to think about uh, layers for um, getting the data into your code. So in our particular application, we have three different servers that we're talking to. um, And we knew that sometimes they might need to change out. So we have a a sort of uh, a network layer, I guess, that tries to normalize the way we're talking to different servers, even though they're they're quite different in the types of of data that they're using. Uh, And then that sort of sits behind uh, the the Redux store. And then on top of that, we have our React application, which uh, uses these small components.
1: Yeah, I really like the idea of small components. Just being able to look at something and kind of at a glance, see what it's about, makes things really nicely. It was, I, I kind of had to get over, and, and I've heard this a lot, I kind of had to get over everything being in the same file with JSX. But once I got past that and realized that I could look at it and see what it was, in one place, there were a lot of things I really liked about the approach.
3: Yeah, actually, this is a good point um, that um, I, I probably don't make a talk of, enough about. Is that we actually have our own custom bundler? Um, so the way we structure our application is that we break it into uh, a folder full of modules, and each of those modules contains uh, some sample HTML that we expect um, the component to output, uh, plus the SAS file uh, which has this, the CSS. Um, and then any JavaScript um, or JSX files that that build the the component. Um, So our custom bundler allows us to keep everything that's related to a single component all together in one folder. So it might not be in the same file, um, Mm -hmm. but you can at least see in in the structure of the way we've um, put our file file tree together, everything that that is in a module belongs together. Uh, And I think many people um, understand that that's a possibility when they're doing React. And Redux in particular, because they're, they're sort of you often have all these reducers sitting in one massive file, um, they they make sort of they they get lost. Um, so I, I actually have to say that uh, the way you structure your file system does make a big difference to the maintainability of these larger applications.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting one. I always struggle with that, or I go back and forth. I mean, how do you decide <laughs> what the best way to organize that is? I mean, like, okay. is it, like by feature or by you know, like containers versus components, and then also like, how do you organize your actions and reducers along with all of those?
3: Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess the, the the question of how you break down um, uh, features versus components is always going to be a tough one. Uh, and you kind of have to just do that by feel, I guess. But, uh, my rule is, um, everything related to the component goes with the component. So if there's, um, we normally try and keep the actions and reducers together. So I, maybe I should explain. Do you guys know about the, um, container component pattern? Um, yeah. Yes. So we, we try and keep our, uh, all our view components as pure functional components. Um, so all they have is a render. Um, method, and that's it. Um, so that makes keeps those very simple. And then in the container component, that's where all the business logic actually lives. So all the action generators are in there, unless there's a heck of a lot of them, in which case we'll split them out. Uh, but all the reducers uh, live in that, that um, component as well. Um, so everything you need to know about the business logic of that component lives in that container component. Uh, that's just our rule for how we do it. Um, For a smaller application, I can see why you might want to keep all the reducers or all the actions in one file. Um, But to me, that never made a lot of sense. Uh, So I I much prefer to keep the logic of when I'm thinking about a single component, I just want everything for that component in one place. I don't want to have to go searching through the file system for it.
1: Yeah, that reminds me of uh, in object-oriented programming, single responsibility principle. Uh, A lot of people think of it as, you know, your um, object or class has one job. But what it really means is that um, everything in that class, or in our case, our component, are things that are likely to change at the same time. And so if you keep them together, then you can go and you can see the entire concern at once. And so, you know, that's kind of what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, all of your reducers, all of your, even though they're all parts of different layers, because they're all likely to change at the same time, you put them all together so that you can just work on that one feature component, whatever you want to call it at the same time.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a, um, I'd forgotten that was the name of it um, from my uh, software engineering uh, study days. But uh, yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. Um, just, just instinctually, I
2: suppose. I wanted to take a step back for a second because as I was reading your article on React, Redux and JavaScript architecture, I realized, oh, and then also like your next one, what's the point of art? I realized like you have this pattern of uh, like a deep thinking on a topic explored through the written word. And um, I found it really interesting. Like how do you, or I guess what in your opinion helps you to think of these things in this way or break down some of those concepts in order to um, really convey what people need to learn. I'm very interested in how people learn, I guess, because that whole like speaking and teaching workshops and things like that. it's, It's very interesting to me.
3: Yeah, I guess um, like most people, uh, I think I often write uh, out of a sense of personal frustration. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it helps me get get my thoughts straight on uh, on what things uh, I'm I'm challenging repeated patterns or repeated conversations that I'm having with people. So the the React one article and the, one of my previous ones on, on test-driven development, like I found that I was having the same conversation over and over with people, that unit testing is not the same thing as test-driven development. Uh, even though um, lots of times we accidentally uh, use those terms interchangeably, they're very different things. Um, and it, I had a sort of epiphany one day when I realized that the whole point of test-driven development isn't actually getting tests um they're just a side effect um what's really good about test driven development it is it teaches people to code in really really small tiny increments um and so i gave a presentation on that to um some of the guys at squiz uh and then um once and because i'd been having these conversations it just kind of flowed and i, I wanted to put that down on paper after i'd done it and uh published it as an article how about you guys? I'm I'm very curious. Uh, I think most of you um, write in one way or another, or prepare talks. Um, how do How do you guys um, uh, start your thinking process for those kinds of things?
4: Sia, you've been doing a lot of this lately. <laughs> I'd be interested to hear your thoughts.
2: <laughs> maybe I sometimes it's frustration. I think you dive deeper than I do, but I um <laughs> I shouldn't say this, but uh, I feel like when I feel like I don't know something well enough that I need to more deeply explore it. And I kind of chart that progress as I go and I, cause I'm like, Oh, this could help someone else. How can I help the next person? Um, and so a lot of the ones I talk about are like new things to me, <laughs> which is probably makes you not the most qualified person to talk about it. But, um, but then also, I don't know. I feel like it's, easier for people that are new to it to approach that type of, um, a talk or, or, um, article or or whatnot, because it's from that standpoint of someone who isn't so deep in it that they forget, you know, what they didn't know before they knew it.
3: That's totally fair. I mean, the, it's so easy to forget how hard it is for people who are new to uh, these concepts or even to our industry, Mm -hmm. um, because, uh, some of us, like me, have been doing it since the, the days of IE6 and um, the browser walls and all of that. Uh, but for for new people, it must be so overwhelming, like uh, Webpack on its own is, is complicated enough, uh, let alone React and Redux and uh, all these things. Um, so I, I, more power to the people who are uh, writing about things as they're learning them so that we don't lose that perspective on things.
4: Yeah, also, I kind of have, I have a similar story in as far as preparing talks and stuff like that. I usually am either that, like, brand new to something or the complete opposite. I'm, like, really deep into something because, like, I feel like for me to do a talk on it, I need to be really excited about it. And it's really easy for me to get excited about something I'm learning and or that I want to learn. So I usually get a talk um, put together around combining, like, a new topic along with something else that's interesting. And usually meshing those two things together can come mm-hmm. up with some interesting topics. And then if it gets accepted, I'll um, spend the next couple of months like learning it well enough to be able to talk about it. Um, or if it's something I already know really well, then I feel you know comfortable you know talking about it as well. But it's interesting that you said, like uh, I think you're right when it comes to teaching something. Um, and if you're if you're doing something for so long, you just uh, you have a lot of assumptions that usually are not correct because you, you you just forgot a lot of the things that you you didn't know that you didn't. Uh, no, like a long time ago so when you're learning something new and you're teaching it you're almost a better teacher sometimes than people that have been doing it for 10 years or so
2: yeah yeah it's really interesting I also like how um clearly you have a creative side as well and I don't know about you but I sometimes struggle because i like to encourage that part but it's like I love to write applications but I also feel like you get so um, or maybe I do so into the zone and so focused that it's hard to like take that step back and give time to like just that thought and rumination, which is really required for like deep thinking on a concept. So I'm kind of curious as to how you make that time, or or how you how you I don't know. This might be also like the frustration with social media and getting like addicted to things, and like how do you take that step back and like uh, open your mind to more creative things and innovative things.
3: Uh, I probably kind of approach it from the opposite direction in that I kind of use uh, writing as a way to force myself to think um, because we are all caught up in this uh, constant on um, like if I'm not on Twitter then I'm probably listening to a podcast Um, and so I I need something like writing to force me to turn the headphones off and um, step away from the social media and I just find that, um, unfortunately for me, uh, 4,000 words is about the right amount of um, time to, to, to get that thinking done, uh, which, which makes for some long articles. Uh,
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, but they're great. I really like them.
1: It's been a fun conversation. We've kind of talked about a lot of different things. Yeah, we have Are... bounced around a little bit. Yep. All right. Well, let's do some picks and that way uh, James can go back to bed for a couple hours or something.
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Take
1: Over there in Australia. Uh, And you Um, too. No, I have to go pick up my kids from school. Um, Natter, why don't you start us out with picks?
0: Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. on the invoice that says, pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section.
4: Sure. So um, my pick is a self-serving pick this week. It's my YouTube channel. I've been I've been I've been having a YouTube channel for React Native training for a long time. We have a few thousand subscribers there. I've since also created my own YouTube channel, um, and I have a few hundred followers now or subscribers. Um, I'm going to be doing a lot of stuff that isn't React Native specific, but but some React Native stuff there. So my React Native training YouTube is all React Native stuff. My personal channel is going to be more around JavaScript, GraphQL, and um, just things that aren't, you know, of course, React Native specific. I'm doing a lot of AWS stuff too. So a lot of uh, AppSync stuff will be there and Amplify as well. So um, I don't have like a YouTube URL yet. But um, if you just Google Natter Dabit YouTube, um, or if you go to my Twitter feed, I'm, I'm Dabbit3 on Twitter, you'll see me tweeting about my YouTube videos that I'm putting out. And that's it for me.
1: Awesome. Sia, do you want to do some picks?
2: Yeah, I don't know what they are though. <laughs> so, oh my bad.
4: Uh, I forgot to, to <laughs> Yeah, we'll we'll blame Natter. Yeah. <laughs> and then, well I've given her like an email with all the information and I like completely left that off. <laughs> so yeah. what
2: is the pick?
1: <laughs> I, I, I like delegating blame. This is good. Um, <laughs> so, get yeah. Essentially picks are just shout outs about things that we like. So
2: oh, cool. it can be technology,
1: okay. it can be T V shows, books, I mean. We have to oh, yeah, pick yeah. all kinds of stuff. So sort of whatever's making your life awesome right now. That's what you pick.
2: Yeah. Okay. So I'll do this and <laughs> I'm going to jump on the AWS bandwagon again. But um, I recently, we had collision comp here in New Orleans. I live in New Orleans and um, Amazon did like these full day multi-talk. Um, they call them workshops, but they were more like talks. And it was really interesting to see a lot more of the AI and machine learning stuff and I think before I had seen this one talk by um, Austin Hussain, who's actually an Azure developer advocate, maybe, um, about the bot of the U.S. I didn't really realize how approachable um, artificial intelligence is nowadays. And so I really want to play around with that. I started making a bot (laughs) for, like, speaker feedback, which was entertaining. And um, I really want to learn more. And then, of course, taking that... Starting using that as a starting point, like dump, diving into machine learning as well. It would be really cool stuff.
1: Yeah, I was at Microsoft Build last week, and they they talked a bit about their bot services. Cool stuff. Um, I'm going to jump in here with a couple of picks myself. Uh, one of the first things that I just want to do is um, I want to briefly. Um, I, I missed the last few episodes. I almost didn't make it to this one. Um, and it's, it's mostly, well, part of it was travel and part of it was just that my dad passed away a few weeks ago and I've just been kind of dealing with life. Um, and so mostly I just want to pick, you know, being around family and friends and just taking the time to, you know, to see everybody and get to, you know, the people you haven't seen in a while, you know, take a minute to reach out. I, I mean, I saw people, including some cousins that I hadn't seen in a few years. And, you know, it's kind of sad to me now just to think, oh, you know what? Um, if something happened to them, you know, it'd be like, Oh, well, the last time I saw him was a few years ago, you know, their kids were really little. And anyway, um, so yeah, so take a few minutes just to spend some time with family and friends and, you know, make sure that you're spending your life doing the things that really matter. Um, you know, coding, you know, the things that we do here, I feel like they do matter because we do help people, but it, it, it it all contributes to the larger quality of life that we have. And, uh, you know, so don't lose sight of all of the other things and all of the people in your life that matter. Um, and yeah, I, it's a little self-reflective, but that's kind of where I've been living the last few weeks. So anyway, uh, James, do you have some pics for us?
3: Uh, I feel it's kind of hard to follow that one. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> But uh, no, totally agree. Um, I do. I do have some some small ones. Uh, so uh, the first one is uh, a package called Highland.js. JS. Um, and what that is is I don't know if you guys have ever experimented much with uh, reactive programming, like RxJS or Bacon JS. Um, what Highland does is it puts that same layer uh, over Node streams. So if you've ever done Node programming, it um, allows you to treat node streams as if they were uh, a reactive um, stream or an observable Um, and so i I wrote my whole blog engine with this because uh, gulp um, works with node streams Uh, and so you could take a gulp stream transform it into a reactive stream and use all your reactive programming techniques um, to build out your uh, static site Uh, so that was really fun Um, and i think this particular package just doesn't get enough recognition for the amazing stuff that it does so i want to tell people about it yeah that that's right um and the other thing i wanted to um to pick um just quickly was uh, functional programming in general um i'm really um enjoying the way it changes the way i think about code um and so i'm uh, enjoying it so much that i'm i'm planning to to write a book about it um so um that's just been filling my head lately and it just is, is so much fun to uh, think differently and to um, see the way that it, it plays out and makes coding more magical.
1: Nice, I have a quick question about Highland JS. Is this something that you could plug into say, RxJS and start using some of their operators and things like that on or?
3: um It's more that it has uh, many of the same operators uh, built. Okay. Into it. So it, it kind of does the same thing that RxJS does for events. Uh, it does for node streams.
1: Cool. One other thing I just want to shout out about then is uh, if you're having trouble getting into functional programming, we just had Kyle Simpson on JavaScript Jabber, and we talked about his book, Functional Like JavaScript, and uh, yeah, that that kind of was. I had trouble getting my head around it, and he kind of dumbed it down for me. So.
2: Yeah, I'll always be thankful to Redux for teaching me more about functional programming
1: awesome well James if people want to see what you're working on now or follow you online uh, where do they go
3: Uh, you can find my website at jrsinclair.com and uh, on twitter at jrsinclair
1: awesome well thank you for coming and talking to us
3: Uh, thank you very much for having me All
1: right. well we will go ahead and wrap this up and we will catch everybody next week
3: cheers